Welcome to Talking Underwater, One Water, One Podcast. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions, and in this special episode, we are continuing our Value of Water series. This series is running in conjunction with the Value of Water campaign, which is a U.S. Water Alliance campaign, as well as Imagine a Day Without Water, which was on October 21st. The series aims to share diverse voices and perspectives on solving water access, equity, and affordability issues. In the past two weeks, you've heard from Monica Fox, CEO of the U.S. Water Alliance, discussing the role of One Water, and from O.J. McFoy, General Manager for the Buffalo Sewer Authority, discussing the utility perspective. Next week, you'll hear another perspective from the ground floor on water access. Before that, though, let's dive into this week's interview. Today, I am happy to introduce you to Kirsten Shedd and Brenda Coley, co-executive directors of the Milwaukee Water Commons. We talk about the efforts of the Milwaukee Water Commons and water equity in the city of Milwaukee and beyond. So without further ado, here's that interview. Hello, everyone. Today, I am joined by Brenda Coley and Kirsten Shedd, co-executive directors of the Milwaukee Water Commons. As part of our special Value of Water series for October, we will be discussing the mission of Milwaukee Water Commons along with the importance of water equity. So Brenda and Kirsten, first, can you please tell us a little bit about the mission of Milwaukee Water Commons and give us some background on water in Milwaukee and its path to being a model water city? All right, I'll I'll start the conversation. Um, Milwaukee Water Commons is a, what I call a small but mighty organization. We were really um, created and formed to give voice or to uplift the voice of the community regarding Milwaukee as a water-centric city. We, our co-founders had found that as Milwaukee positioned itself, you know, here on the Great Lakes to be a water-centric city, the voice of the community was not really um, resonated or was not really heard. You had academic voices talking into this situation. Certainly you had government voices, you had business voices, but not really any community voices. And so as a result of that, um, with, um, the two co-leaders uh, got a small grant and um, real around the city in various formations, some one-on-one conversations, some group conversations and talks between 1,500 and 2,000 people here in the city about what they felt a water-centric city would become. So our mission, you know, is really has been to elevate the community voice in these decisions around water and to really engage the community around issues of uh, community engagement and stewardship when it comes to um, water. Because we believe that if that everyone should have a a should have the benefit of the water. We have a philosophy, the water belongs to no one and it belongs to everyone. But with that, um, um, with that gift of water comes the responsibility. And we really work with the community around those kinds of issues. Yeah, so we have, um, I think we're pretty well known for our frameworks. We have four working frameworks um, through which we do um, the work of Milwaukee Water Commons. Um, the first being environmental justice and centering environmental justice, anti-racism. We know that um, the worst impacts of bad water policy, of climate change, of things connected to water tend to um, affect communities of color and communities that have been disengaged from the decision-making already. 
Um, and then as Brenda mentioned, we, we work under the um, idea of the commons and that um, these are public water spaces, that they're not owned by anyone. We're not commodifying our waters. Um, we primate prioritize community engagement, um, both as a way we do our work and um, in order to really share power um, and decision making with communities around our water. Um, and then collective impact. We, we know that we're one organization among many with working on water, working on issues connected to water or workforce or um, environmental stewardship. So we work in collaboration and coordination. Um, we really view collective impact aligning um, multiple efforts um, because it's going to take all of us to really build a water-centric city that's equitable. Yeah, definitely. And can you, um, one of you explain a model water city and, and how you guys are working towards that? Well, I think um, how we're looking at a model water city is really through our water city agenda. And that, as, as we said before, that's really based on um, engaging the community on what a water model city looks like and what it, would, what it should be. So through those conversations, we came up with six initiatives that if we fulfill these initiatives, bring them into fruition, then we have, we're closer to a model water city. So those six initiatives are drinking water, and there we're talking about having clean, accessible drinking water, affordable as a human right for everyone in the, in, in the city of Milwaukee. So that, in order to have a, a model water city, everyone should have clean drinking water, affordable and accessible drinking water. Then we're talking, then the, the next initiative, or one of the initiatives is green infrastructure. And green infrastructure, you know, and this is where we have that environmental justice lens, right? Many times when communities experience green infrastructure coming into poor and marginalized communities, it means regentrification. So but what we're talking about is that they should have the benefits of green infrastructure, meaning things that are going to mediate flooding, you know, that's in their community. So they get to, to enjoy that, that benefit. Um, we have another um, um, initiative, arts and culture. So as a part of water, we want to look at water in many different ways. You know, we see it as a gift, not as a commodity, and that we have to, and, and as a friend, um, and so we use arts and culture in order to engage people around um, water, and we have programming around that. We have a big event we call We Are Water, which is a culmination, and we really um, talk about the cultural and mystical aspects of water. We have this, uh, have this big gathering um, at, at the lakefront. So then we have um, um, water quality, and um, we're trying to highlight um, the progress that we've made, and really, um, and then um, advocate for uh, mediation where it's needed. And one of the things that Milwaukee Water Commons does is we have a, a, a Cream City Classic, we call, which is an open water swim. It's sanctioned, and um, that is really to bring, to highlight and, and, and uplift the expectations to have drinkable, swimmable, um, fishable water. So we have a, a well, um, once a year, there is um, education and recreation. And here we're really trying to really open up the roadway and the access for everyone to be able to enjoy the water. 
I, we don't believe you can have a water centric city, a model water city, if everyone in the city does not know how to swim. So that's one of the things that, and, and doesn't understand uh, swimming safety. You know, it's not just swimming, but there's four or five other parts of keeping yourself safe in the water. And so we work on that and also engaging folks to the water who have been disengaged through no fault of their own. So we are looking for ways to open up those spaces. And when you're talking about Milwaukee, which is a hyper-segregated city, the water has has been seen as a place that's generally around the water has been mostly white spaces. So we're really trying to to, um, to um, work with that. Um, Kirsten, did I miss? Oh, I'm thinking of Blue Green Blogs is one yeah. um, that comes to mind. Um, which is really that, you know, one of the benefits of being on the water is that there are jobs related to the water. We want to make sure that those jobs are accessible to the people that need them most here in our city, that the pathways to access, and you'll hear us use those words a lot, um, around those jobs are clear, um, that we don't have unnecessary barriers um, in a hyper-segregated city with a history of um, disparity around employment, underemployment, unemployment, wages, um, equity needs to be centered in the way we approach jobs, especially as we look at a sustainable water city. Um, and I feel like we missed the sixth one, but I don't know that it's coming to mind right now. Uh -huh. <laughs> Whoever's in charge of that one will be disappointed, but we can come back to it. <laughs> and um, I kind of want to go back to, to talking about blue-green jobs a little bit. Are there, what are kind of some specific action um, points you guys have taken to, you know, develop that, you know, workforce equity? Um, I think what we did was we convened a table in partnership with um, this, um, the water institutions in the city, um, MMSD and WaterWorks, and we brought those institutions together along with, under auspices of U.S. Water Alliance, along with other environmental um, groups to really look at the situation. We have to assess the situation first. So the first thing that we did was we um, commissioned um, the UWM Center for Economic um, Development and um, to do a needs assessment. And what we wanted to know, what were the gaps? What was the state of employment? How many jobs were actually available in the water sector? Um, so we, um, so we had, um, um, so we had them do a report. And then about a year later, we have what we call a roadmap, which we see as solutions to those, those issues and those problems. So it's complex, it's complicated. You know, as Kirsten said, it's going to take all of us, really all the institutions to come together and figure out a way to um, deal with this. We're now talking about shared decision making. We've done a lot of advising. But what does it do? What does it mean to have shared decision making around some of these issues uh, around um, our water institutions? So, you know, so that's where we're working with on, 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 on that level. And I just add that um, I think we're trying to look, what's, what's come out of this is an approach that's holistic to, like, the whole job picture. So, you know, what training requirements are there and who can access those trainings? What are the educational requirements? Are the educational requirements for these jobs aligned with what the actual needs of the job are? We know that often, you know, just as in many sectors, the water sector can, you know, expect to have a, you need a four-year degree or a master's degree 
in order to do, do a job that doesn't really require it. Or we, we put certain barriers up that end up weeding out candidates unnecessarily. Um, some of that is unintentional, but some of it is intentional. And so we, we are pushing hard against um, any barriers to access to water sector jobs and also opening up um, how can how can we cross train in those jobs? How can we make sure that we have cultural competency in the workforce? How, you know, because right now um, the water sector is something like 98% white and male in many in many aspects of the water sector. So we know we need to focus on diversity and on, both on racial diversity and gender diversity in our sector. Okay, and um, pivoting a little bit, can you um, give us a definition of water equity in general? I don't know. I think we have a feeling of what water equity is, but I don't know if we have a... a, um, a we do in our report, but I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking right now to see what, what how we define it. Or I, I know, know you... Well, let me let me let me read what we have in our report. So okay. equity refers to just and fair inclusion, a condition in which everyone has the opportunity to participate and prosper. Water equity occurs when all communities have access to safe, clean, affordable drinking water, and wastewater services are resilient in the faces of floods, drought, and climate risk. And when, when the community has a role in decision making process related to water management in their communities and share in the economic, societal, and environmental benefits of water systems. That's a huge, complicated um, definition. And really what it's getting at, at, which is the hardest thing to do, is unravel and change systemic, systemic issues and problems. And this mm -hmm. is where the complication comes. Because, you know, it takes individuals, it takes institutions, it takes the culture for to to carry out this this um, these um, inequities. It really it does, and so we have to look at what we do and how to change that. And that's that's very difficult to get people to get communities to get institutions to change that. So one of the big thing is that okay, so we can have um, advisory boards, but that's not really water equity. Equity is if we share decision making. So how does that look? That means the institution has to do a cultural shift. It means elevating the community to be equal, not better, but equal to these um, to institutions, to government, to business. And community is not generally seen as, as equal voice at the table. Yeah. And that kind of leads into another question I have is, you know, how has this mission of achieving water equity evolved in 2020 as um, conversations of social and racial and, and systematic inequities heightened and increased? Well, I think it's made it more urgent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've been talking about centering environmental justice in our water work for a number of years, and that hasn't always been a popular topic. And I don't want to say that now everyone's on board, but we've seen a shift among our peers, among environmental groups that are more interested, or at least starting to talk about being interested in centering racial equity in their work. So I think that it's, it's, it's heightened, it's um, more on people's radar, uh, folks that have had the privilege to not have that on their radar up till now. 
Um, and I think we also see the intersecting disparities. I mean, the way that COVID-19 hit the black community here in Milwaukee first um, was, was right in line with the way that we also see the way flooding tracks in our city and the way that we see reduction in tree canopy tracks um, and the way that we see other health impacts. And so I think, and the, you know, the Black Lives Matter and the March for more racial justice and social justice um, is only under highlighting the disparities that we already see in, you know, water. So I feel like it's just like Brenda said, it's, it's interconnected and it's just heightened. Yeah, it's become more urgent, but it, there's also an atmosphere where it's not so strange to bring up the question, and that, mm-hmm. that and that's a little that makes it a little bit easier on a, on on activists because. Talking about equity and anti-racism and systemic change is not a conversation most people think is polite to have. So many times we, we, um, it's very hard to even name, let alone go after, but name the problem. Definitely. And how important is education in moving these conversations forward? What, what do you mean by education? So you talked, you know, of your Water City agenda, one of the six initiatives was education and recreation. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like often education um, means, you know, more community engagement, educating the community on what water equity is and how it can be achieved. Mm -hmm. Um, I I look at education in in a a number of ways. Education can be advocacy, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and it's not a situation where we we how do how I think I look at it as in, engaging the community around these issues so that they can then make informed decisions. I mean, this is something that Kirsten and I think about all day, every day, right? Mm-hmm. And we understand these issues, and we're breathing, we're waking up in the middle of the night sometimes. <laughs> but other people aren't, nor should they. You know, um, yeah. it is our bring them the information that they need in order to make the decision that they that they know is best for their community and that's what our job is so engaging them around it so we do have we have like water school and this is an interesting concept we bring um five um, um teams of five people from community-based organizations and then we just take them through a series of day-long sessions around water your water footprint, the water issues in the city. We do, we take them and do a, um, one day we go to the, um, to the lake and do kayaking, you know, but we also talk to them about wastewater, one water kinds of situations. So this is engaging folks, like I said, and we, and we believe that people have been disengaged from the water through no fault of their own. So we're, we're opening up, you know, trying to uncover the roadway for them to get to the water and enjoy it and take care of it. So, yeah, and and, and I say that many times we're asking the community for, for their opinion, but it's our job to give them the information so that they can make a uh, informed decision. I think the other side of education that we've been asked to step into, especially in this time, has been, you know, more of a consulting um, training kind of role with um, like I said, with environmental organizations and our peers, 
around how we center racial justice in this work, as well as with, you know, agencies in our state and in our community. I mean, so the education, there's educating the community in order to be water leaders to make decisions. And then there's also re-educating the systems mm-hmm. and the structures mm-hmm. um, to make that pathway open at the other end and to really make, you know, centering racial justice and environmental justice a priority. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and kind of, you know, what is some advice that you too would give to other cities who are thinking of starting similar initiatives to what Milwaukee Water Commons has? I would say that I think what was striking about the way we started is that we spent a lot of time intentionally listening to people's water stories who had not been asked before to be involved in the water sector. Um, It really was, I think, an ivory tower that was pretty inaccessible and also kind of disengaged. And so I think starting to really hear what what community voices have to say. I mean, we started with artists and local um, leaders and folks that aren't normally, you know, they don't have the credentials that normally get them invited to a water meeting. And so um, I, I think listening to what the needs are, the perceived needs, the real needs of the community to start and building from there would be one point. Hmm. Definitely. And Brenda, did you have any anything to add? I'm not sure what advice I, I you know, I I think that we need, I guess during this time in any any issue around the environment, you must involve the people who are going to be impacted by that your decision. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I think that the environmental movement uh, has been lacking in that in that way. I think they're getting much much better, but the, um, but I really think they left the community out of. Um, um, the decisions they made, the, the the programs they did, and um, but they were working on behalf of the community. But I don't think they had enough community input. So I would say, you know, somewhat as Kirsten said, if you're going to, you really have to involve the people who who is going to be impacted by the decision that you're making. And I really, you know, say that to government institutions. Mm-hmm. I'll just add on to that. I actually just had a conversation about this today, and it's something Brenda has been saying for years, which is that we need to get better at building relationships. This needs to be about relationships and not about transactions. And so if we come in, if you come into a community with a transactional approach, I have this thing, you, I need this thing from you, you need this thing from me. You know, we're not really building resilient community that way. And I think it's a challenge for government and from, I mean, for nonprofits too, to, to really focus on building relationships for the long haul with community, with community organizations, with individuals in the community, so that we're not relying on this transactional approach. And I think that's what's really going to build a resilient city Mm -hmm. in Milwaukee and hopefully other places too. Yeah. And just just one, one other thing I would say is that, and this is talking to institutions, this is talking about community based organizations, is to be more transparent in your agenda. you, we often come to the community, but we aren't completely transparent about what we can do and what we can't do, or what we're looking for and what we need. So we need to be in our relationship that's not transactional, part of the community engagement, we want it to be sustainable, 
It has to have trust involved with it. And, and we need to bring the trust, which is being more transparent. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, the, and those were my main questions for you. And I thank you both so much for answering them all and having this conversation with me. Before we say goodbye, is there anything either of you want to add that we haven't touched on? I don't think I do. No. No. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. This was great and very informative. And I think that our uh, listeners can, can learn a lot. So thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kirsten and Brenda, for that interview and conversation. We at Talking Underwater appreciate you taking the time to share your insight and work within the water industry with us. Before I sign off today, I just want to remind you all that if you liked what you heard, please like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, and really anywhere you can get podcasts. Of course, you can always reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com and give us a follow on Twitter at Podcast. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode closing out this special series.